You know, there's something powerful about reflecting on just how much God has done for us, making us saints, making us into people who are acceptable for Him. And today we're going to look at a parable mixed with a story Jesus tells about some lepers, but what it looks like to have the kind of mindset to keep in mind what God has done for us. I don't know if you ever get into this, this way of thinking, the who owes who way of thinking. Sometimes it happens in your marriage. Things go from being pretty good to having strong expectations for each other to starting to have obligations for one another. You start keeping a mental list of, you know, I really did this for you and you really owe me that. And you remember the time I sacrificed for and you owe me two sacrifices to make up for my one sacrifice. And you remember when you're building your career and I spent the extra time doing such and such. And, and this attitude begins to sort of develop in you that you owe me. And it begins to sort of suck the air and joy out of your relationship. Or maybe you're living in the same town as your parents and they're starting to need additional care. And so you're feeling the sacrifice of caring for them and looking after them. And, and you've got siblings who live in other towns and they'll call occasionally. Hey, mom doesn't seem very happy. Doesn't sound like you're doing enough. And then they give you that unsolicited advice that can only happen from three states away. It begins with, if you just... If you just do such and such and they take some complex issue and reduce it down to some simplistic, naive statement and you start to resent, you know what, after everything I'm doing, now I owe my parents for a lot of stuff they did, but man, brother, sister, you owe, the the amount of sacrifice needed to sort of balance the scale here, you're way out of line. You owe me for what I've done and what I'm doing for our parents. And sometimes that mindset affects our relationship with God. We start getting frustrated at God resentful at God, ticked off at God, because we're not getting the kind of circumstances or comforts we want. And what we really feel, if you can listen carefully to your heart, is we really feel like God owes us, because we're pretty obedient. Owes us, because we've avoided you know, some, some big sins. God owes us, because we you know, went to church ten times this year, or, or we went to Christmas and Easter this year. And that attitude of, you owe me, actually destroys your relationship with God and other people because it takes love out of the equation turns everything into obligation. And so we're going to go backwards into the passage Peter addressed last week just for a hair to look at why our hearts aren't filled with joy and gratitude toward God, rather filled toward the sense of obligation. Jesus is going to teach us how to change our thinking about thanking. He told the story about a boss who had a servant, and he says, does he, the boss, thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. He says, I want you to change your thinking about thanking. Why is there not more thankfulness in your life? Why is there not more thankfulness between you and God? He's going to look at two different mindsets. One mindset, you owe me for what I have done. And the other mindset, God, I owe you. For all you've done. In light of what you sacrificed for me, man, I will sacrifice for my spouse. I'll sacrifice for my parents. I will, I will sacrifice whatever you asked me to sacrifice is far less than you've sacrificed for me. And if we can get a hold on these two mindsets, we're going to find out how to breathe life back into our relationships. And take out the obligation. Now to do that, let's look at that first mindset. You owe me for what I have done. If you're honest with yourself, this comes out in many ways. I know it does in my life. I'm never going to probably eliminate it. I just sort of reduce the percentage of times it it motivates me. So let's go back to the passage. 
in last week's um, ending, does he, the boss, thank the servant? So quick background here, that there was not real complex bankruptcy law in the biblical times. And so what would happen is if you had accrued a whole lot of debt, you would look for somebody to finance your debt. And they would pay off your debt, and you became an indentured servant to them. And so you'd say, hey, if, if you will hire me and pay off my debt, I want to work for three years, I want to work for five years or seven years, you'd agree upon it. And so you are working off your debt. And your boss had already done incredibly lavish work for you by paying off your debt and giving you a chance to reset yourself in kind of ancient uh, bankruptcy law. So with that context, this boss has hired you, you have a contract, and he tells you he wants you to you know, do the dishes or clean this up or fix that. Does that boss who already paid off your debt and brought you in this relationship, does he thank you when you just do your job, the things that are commanded you? Of course not. Now, this isn't like Jesus endorsing rudeness. You know, don't thank the people who work for you. He's saying, no, the, the, the idea that your boss owes you appreciation or owes you thankfulness because you're doing your job if he's already cleaned out your debt... That would be unthinkable. You're thinking backwards like your boss owes you for doing the thing he pays you to do. So likewise, you, when you have done all the things which are commanded you, so he compares this now to your relationship with God, you are to say to yourself, not God owes me for what I've done, not I deserve this, but instead say to yourself, we are unprofitable servants, for we have done what was our duty to do. And so when religion begins to play a role in your life, the I've done so much for God branch of religion. Three things happen. One, you start to think people owe you. Two, you start to get entitled with self-righteousness. Look at all I've done. Man, God's so lucky to have me on his team. I could do a lot for the devil, I'll tell you that. You're lucky to have me. Or third, just a self-focus. Look at me, 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 what I've done, I've done, I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. There's sort of three hints here in the text to come against that you owe me religious attitude. When you start having the you owe me expectations, God says, I want you to remind yourself that in light of what I've done for you, it is your duty to do it. You see, most of the time we magnify the things we do and say, wow, I'm an incredible husband. Wow, I'm an incredible dad. Wow, look at the incredible employee I am. And we magnify what we've done and therefore we go, you owe me more for what I've done. Versus saying, you know what, this is my duty. This is what I've commanded. This is just basic uh, followership kind of mandates. It actually takes away that you owe me mindset. The second thing is when you get self-righteous, thinking, oh my goodness, look at all the amazing things I've done. Jesus says, remind yourself that everything that comes out of you is unprofitable. Unprofitable? I think the prophet Jeremiah says that your best deeds on your best days are like filthy rags before the Lord. It's actually a pretty disgusting picture. It's actually use menstrual rags is actually the phrase he's using. That your best efforts coming from your heart are like filthy rags. So anything the good that's coming out of you, if it's truly good, actually came from his spirit anyway. It was the fruit of his spirit. And that's going to keep you from self-righteousness, thinking you produced all that, you did all that, you deserve credit for all that. It's not all, that was God working in me that did that. And lastly, when you have the self-focus, me, 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 I deserve, I deserve, remind yourself you're a servant. You are here and what you do is to serve God, serve God's purposes. So those are some of the, the, the secrets got embedded here in this little parable on how to come against that you owe me attitude. Then from there, the Holy Spirit 
And Luke put this real account Jesus has that sets a second mindset about. The second mindset is not you owe me because of what I've done. It's, oh my goodness, God, I owe you because of everything you have done. Now look what he says um, in the passage. And before, I want to give you some hints, kind of some cultural background before we jump into the passage. If you're going to move from you owe me to I owe you, you need to understand where Jesus is and who he's talking to. Jesus is on his way from Galilee to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is down here. He's heading down this direction. It's about 80 miles from here to here. He's up here in Galilee. And most scholars believe that based on where he is in Luke, he's basically walking the line here from Galilee between Galilee and Samaria. So somewhere about here, he comes across a village. When he gets to this village, he finds a group of Samaritans and Jews living together. What's the big deal? Well, these people were politically in opposition to one another. These people had cultural differences. One considered the other a half-breed. They disagreed on where worship should occur. They disagreed on where, where God should occur. Just all kinds of stuff like that. So, in the sense of that, this would be like coming across... Imagine coming across a village that had Trump supporters and a Bernie Sanders supporter. And as they came across that, they're like, wow, you're like, how are these people living together? How are these people enjoying one another? How are these people in relationship with one another? You're like, it's kind of shocking that uh, these people would be in relationship. It's like, imagine having Android people together with uh, Apple people, you know, or, or Harley people right next to, say, um, Honda people. You're like, no, oh, these people don't live together, except they must have an identity that is more real than their differences. More real than their cultural differences, more real than their religious differences. And they did. These ten people live in a village with leprosy. And their leprosy is more real than their religious differences and their cultural differences. This leprosy, they know what it is to be shunned. They know what it is to have to cry out, unclean! They know what it is to be so pushed out by society that they hadn't hugged their kids in years or been touched or held by anyone in years. It's the kind of bond that people who've served in the military have, that you've been through hell together. It's more important than anything else in your life. It's being in a small group, and maybe you've had a, your spouse had an affair, and somebody shares with you that their spouse had an affair, and you get bonded. That You may disagree on a lot of things, but you're bonded in this identity of pain. So that's where we're at in this village is that they're here right between where Galilee and Samaria occur. I'll draw it on the map here for you. So they are right here in this location. And right in this spot, he comes across these ten lepers. Now, leprosy has been actually found in the biblical record during this time. In fact, NBC News had an article showing that they found a man with leprosy. And when you think of leprosy, I don't know what you think of, but it's a, it's a condition where your nerve endings stop working. So you can't feel pain. usually starts at the extremities. And then you get a cut and you don't know you have pain. And so you can literally have pieces of your body chipped off or hurt or cut off and you don't even know it. And you slowly start to distort your whole body. But this isn't like because they're poor or because they're unclean and don't take baths. It's, it's a viral thing. It's called Hansen disease. And it's actually found amongst the wealthy 
as much as amongst the poor. In fact, most examples in the Bible and archaeological finds, though it's certainly all over the world uh, in different ways, is in those who are wealthy. An Israeli archaeologist found the oldest remains of a leprosy victim to be uncovered in the Middle East. He discovered the 2,000-year-old remains of a man in a niche in the family burial cave in 1st century A.D. So here are, during Jesus' time in the Middle East, again, rich person in the family pushed in and they found he had leprosy. And what's interesting is leprosy is one of those things that forces you to realize there are problems you can't solve and there are needs you can't fix. So how much power you have, how much wealth you have, no matter how much influence you have, you can't fix this. And through the Bible you see folks of great means have leprosy to show their need for God. When Moses is standing at the burning bush, what does God give him? Leprosy. He pulls out his hand. (gasps) Death has come into my life. Puts it back into his robe, pulls it out. Oh, God brought life where there was death. God did what I couldn't. Numbers chapter 14, Miriam, his sister, doesn't like his leadership. Also doesn't seem to like the fact that he married a black woman, a Cushite. Moses mentions this. And God, in his stern sense of humor, turns to Miriam and says, Oh, you think lighter skin makes you somehow more acceptable? Try leprosy. Shows how strongly God takes attitudes of racism. You think lighter skin in any way makes you acceptable? I'll give you lighter skin because your skin turns white when you have leprosy. She then has to ask Moses that she's been reading the riot act to to pray for her healing. And humble Moses prays for his sister's healing. Then in 2 Kings, we have Naaman, a Syrian leader, powerful, rich, incredible things he's done, but he has leprosy. And so in all of his mighty resume-building things, he has this constant sense that he has a need he can't fix. And so leprosy is a good analogy of sin. It starts at our extremities. It reminds us of death that we can't fix on our own. You can't good works your your way out of death. It begins to spread and distort everything. You lost feeling with God. You lose the ability to, to bring life into your life. So that's what leprosy is. And again, back to our map. Another thing is this particular area of the country where Jesus was, was right next to a, a Greek Roman city called Scythopolis. Now, we don't know the Samaritan was from here, but it's right next to Mount Gerizim where the Samaritans thought worship should occur rather than Jerusalem, based on Joshua doing a sacrifice there in the book of Joshua. But this was an area very influential, very wealthy, lots of comfort. And so this place would have been influenced, this village, by the wealth and the comfort and luxury of the area. Just to give you an idea of the city, it had incredible theaters. This is a theater from the Theophilus. It had incredible gymnasiums. It had incredible um, uh, gymnasiums and theaters and shopping centers, educational centers. They had even developed prior to Jesus' time, even in the B.C. time, how to create fully functioning saunas. This is a subfloor. Underneath the subfloor, they would put these little beams in place so that they could boil water and put steaming air in through the floor and it would come up and create a sauna room in their gymnasiums. So this area of the country did not lack comfort, did not lack uh, convenience. And though there's all kinds of luxury, leprosy would remind you that there are things you can't solve and things you can't fix. So with that in mind... Here's the passage of the ten lepers. So it happened that as he went to Jerusalem, told he's on his way to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, right there on that map. 
As he entered that certain village, there he met ten men who were lepers. And they stood afar off. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's taking his disciples. A group of lepers are there. Oh, they stood afar off because that's what you're supposed to do. Unclean, unclean, unclean. That's what Leviticus required them to do. And the Talmud continued and made some specific parameters as to how far you need to be based on what had been distorted. They stood afar off, but instead of just saying unclean, they're aware of their need for God, and they began to cry out what? They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, Boss, have mercy on us. The word mercy means not getting what you deserve. They could have said, Jesus, you owe us for the years of pain we've been through. Jesus, you owe us for what we've had to put up with. Jesus, you owe us for the time we've lost with our family. You owe us. But they didn't. God, we don't deserve this. We need mercy, what we don't deserve. Would you have mercy on us? And Jesus, the rabbi, the healer, comes near them. Though they can't come near to him. He looks at them each and says, Go, show yourself to the priests. Now priests didn't exist in local synagogues. The priests were at the temple. So they're going to have to travel 80 miles, 80 miles to get to Jerusalem. And on their journey, 80 miles, as they're on their way, by faith, they still got leprosy. They're trusting God, this 80-mile hike. Do we know if they made it 10 miles or 20 miles? But We don't know. But on the way, it says, as they were trusting what Jesus said to go to the priest in Jerusalem, it was as they went, as they acted in obedience, as they went by faith, they were all 10 cleansed. And at the moment they were cleansed, just imagine walking down the road. All right, well, I hope. Kind of like Naaman. One time in the Jordan River, nothing. Five times in Jordan River, nothing. Six times in Jordan River, nothing. Seventh time out of Jordan River, I'm clean! And as they are cleaned, one of them, the Samaritan, that the Jews thought were half-breeds and the Jews thought that were unclean and were wrong about all kinds of stuff. One of them when he saw that he had been healed, returned. He gets to the place, and he's like, I'm healed! And instead of continuing on to the priest, instead of running home to hug his wife, or or be with his kids, totally understandable, he says, the first thing I got to do is give God credit for giving me what I didn't deserve. He runs back to Jesus, falls on his face, And with a loud voice gives credit or glory to God. He falls down on his face. Loud voice glorified God giving him thanks. And he was the Samaritan. The shunned one. And Jesus turns to his disciples. Huddle up guys. Huddle up. Look at this Samaritan who returned. Hey guys. Could you uh, help me with some math? Wasn't it 10 that I healed? Where uh, where are the other nine? Were not any found who would return to give, and here's his whole point, glory to God? Nothing wrong with hugging your kids, nothing wrong with missing your wife, nothing wrong with missing your community. But the first priority was to give glory to God. Then all these things will be added unto you.
Do I think the other nine weren't thankful? No, I'm sure they were thankful. They ran home and hugged their kids. But the first priority was to give God credit for doing for you what you couldn't do for yourself. And the Samaritan got this. In which case he said, the only one who got this was except the foreigner. Therefore, arise, go your way. For you have been healed by your faith. Now that phrase, go your way, does that mean that he didn't have to go to the priest? No, I think he still needed to continue to go his way. To the priest, and you'll find out why in just a moment. That was an important part of what Jesus was doing by healing the, the lepers and bringing glory to him. And I'll talk about that in just a second. So with this kind of in mind, let's go back to our original point from the previous parable. How do we change our thinking about thanking? These lepers knew that they didn't deserve it. But then when they received it, only one of them acted like he didn't deserve it and made sure he came back to thank the one who had done for him what he couldn't do for himself. How can you and I be like the Samaritan? I want to give you four ways. Four ways that we can be like the Samaritan. Number one, we're going to look at our brain. All of us have a condition. It's not old-timer's disease. It's actually short-timer's disease. And we've got to overcome short-timer disease. For a short time, we'll remember, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. God, it's just, I'm just lucky to be in the game. I'm lucky that you're here for me. But it's such a short time between realizing we don't need something to God, you owe me. The distance between remembering we're operating in mercy to demanding from God is such a short time in your brain. Look what happens. It was just a few minutes ago before they were healed, they were all fully aware that they are lepers, unclean disassociated, couldn't connect with anyone, let alone God. It was just a few minutes ago, they realized they were living in a need of mercy. We cannot heal this for ourselves. And yet in just a short time, they forget about Jesus, they forget about God, they forget about what they need. And the same thing happens to us. One moment, oh God, I'm going through a tough time, I need you, I need you, I need you, I'll do anything for you, do anything for you. Oh, things are better. God, don't ask me to do too much now. Come on now. Whoa. That's too big of a sacrifice. Because we owe God everything, we've got to overcome short-timer disease. Forgetting we operate in mercy, that everything in our life is a gift from God. I heard a guy told a story. um, He was on a plane with a stranger, and the airline announced it was the first time ever any airline had offered free high-speed internet video downloads. And streaming. And they were offering it complimentary. This is the first flight from the first airline could ever offer this. And everybody's like, wow, that's incredible. I didn't know this existed. So the guy telling the stories like he turned to the stranger and like, all right, well, let's try it out. And so everybody in the whole plane, right, went and found the biggest download they could find, the biggest stream they could find, trying to play this thing. And as they're watching, wow, this is incredible. Look at the quality. This is amazing. It's complimentary. About five minutes into their streaming, Right? Because everybody was doing it at once. What happened? Crashed. I mean, the whole system crashed. And the guy telling the story says, he looks over at the stranger, and the stranger's like, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Foul, filth, and foul. He's letting some F-bombs drop. You can't believe this. A service that he didn't know existed a few minutes ago, that was compliment given to him a few minutes ago, he now felt entitled to. And that's the Christian experience. Everything we have is a gift from God. We are lepers 
by the mercy of God that we even, uh, his mercies are new every morning. And yet we move into religion and God owes us. God needs to give us. God took someone from us because we don't overcome short timer disease. Number two, we got to engage our eyes and the eyes of others. If we're going to be thankful, we need to realize that I owe it to God and others to put on a show that people can see. God says, I want you to go and show yourself to the priest. Now, why would he say that? Well, because there was, if you remember when we went through the book of Leviticus, Drew did a really nice job of explaining there was a certain offering for leprosy healings. And as far as we know, no one has ever had to pull out that page of Leviticus to offer that sacrifice. So it's been since 1500 B.C. And Jesus is now, while he's uh, doing ministry, he's sending people to temple, like all ministry long, and they're like showing up, hey, I'm trying to find the priest. Oh, what's going on? I had leprosy. Really? You don't look like a leper. I know I'm healed. Hey, we got a, we got a leprosy healing here. And they would shave him down, had to wait for several days to see if it came back, and you know, they would basically approve of them being clean, going back into temple, back in their community. But more... Important than that is they're like, I haven't seen a leprosy healing in like 1,500 years. Does anyone know how to do the leprosy sacrifice? No, no one. Let's go pull out that scroll. We don't even use that page hardly. I'm like, (coughs) (coughs) what do we do for a leprosy healing? Here comes another one. Another one. We haven't, there's like 10 leper healings and sacrifices. We haven't done those in 1,500 years. I wonder if Messiah is near. Remember, the whole last couple chapters have been about Jesus interacting with the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the religious elite. Jesus wants these lepers, first priority, to be showing other people what God is doing in the world. He's not against them hugging their wife. He's not against them being with their kids. But the number one priority in our life is to show other people in a way they can see what God's strength is like, what God's comfort is like. Got a really nice note this week, speaking of Thanksgiving. And many of you, if you haven't had someone to pass away here at our church, you probably don't know what we do for funerals. When somebody does pass away, it becomes the most important thing of your day or your week. So I got a nice note from a guy who attends our church who's been growing spiritually for the last year. But he lost his wife in the last month. And he just sent a note to say, I, I got to tell you, Chad, how loved I felt by it to church. What a great job your staff did. How comforted I felt. The volunteers who greeted. The ways we felt loved on. The ways we felt you drawing near to us in our pain. I just wanted to say thank you. I just felt so good on behalf of the church that we're able to love on people in the most dire moments. I called him up and he talked about what God's doing in his life and the high points and the low points and, and the way God's working in the midst of the challenges. And I just got to feel God at work in a tragic circumstance. And then I'm kind of, you know, was tempted to kind of put the note away and be done. I'm like, yeah, I got to share this. I mentioned John by name and Drew by name and Melody. So I called each one of them up. I just want to share with them the encouragement, the way they served, the way they mobilized, the way they drew near. Loved on people. Not that I needed that. They didn't necessarily need the credit, but I wanted to thank them for the glory, the credit God gets for how he used them. And I'll say the same thing to you. When you hold back thanksgiving, you rob people of the joy of the glory that God used them as a gift. 
Your spouse, your kids, your parents are a gift. And if you don't give voice to that, you're robbing people of the appreciation of letting them know that they're a gift from God that he's used to bless you. So what does it look like for us to think of all of our life through the lens of how do I allow people to see a show of God in my life? Which is a different mindset than just God make me comfortable because you owe it to me. Versus God, I want to show you through my current circumstances. Third, our mouth. Our mouth. If you want to be a person who knows how to be thankful, who knows how to live with that, God, I owe you for what you have done, you're going to have to address your mouth. Because I owe God and others, I've got to turn up the volume on my mouth. When the Samaritan returned with a loud voice, he glorified God. It wasn't like, hey, good to... No. Now, were the other nine unthankful? I doubt it. How could you be unthankful? They just didn't come back and say it. And unexpressed gratitude always communicates ingratitude. It's not that they weren't thankful, but they didn't turn up the volume or come back so Jesus and God would know. And therefore, they robbed God and other people of the glory. And I want to propose to you that in your marriage, in your parenting, in your leading of coworkers, most of us need to turn up the volume. Because no one can see your good intentions. No one can hear your heart. In my heart, I'm so thankful. In my heart are such wonderful intentions toward my care and thankfulness toward my spouse and my kids and my co-workers and my boss. No one knows what's in your heart. No one can see what's in your heart. No one can super hearing what's in your heart. You have to turn up the volume. And look for ways to say out loud what you're thankful for to the people around you. Because if you don't, Your unexpressed gratitude will communicate ingratitude unless you turn up the volume with your actual mouth. You know, we've been through a lot of books of the Bible over the last couple years. But I got to tell you, in the last 15 years, I put off doing the book of Luke for as long as possible. And let me tell you why. I grew up in a church that went through the book of Luke for seven years. And my pastor, Pastor McGarry was not particularly gifted as a communicator. So every day from like ninth grade through when I came back in college, we're still in Luke. And every time I'd sit down in the pew, it'd be like, good morning and Maranatha. Maranatha, that's what he always said. The Lord is coming. Maranatha, I can't hear you. Maranatha. Today we're in the book of Luke. Still. And it was not particularly compelling, not particularly interesting, but mostly it was long. So I put off the book of Luke, knowing that doing it well would take two years, and to make it compelling, I just had such pain in my hippocampus. Sitting in that pew for four or seven years in a church that loved God, loved God, loved the Bible, I learned how I didn't want to do church. 
I began to form, if I could ever teach the Bible, how can I make it relevant and real and compelling? I sat there. I learned a lot sitting in that pew. I actually read my Bible. It's more interesting than the sermon, actually. I read a lot of Bible during those years in the sermon. But I also realized that I had never thanked Pastor McGarry for his faithful service, his teaching of the scriptures, and at age 15, Pastor McGarry started letting me preach at our Sunday night service as a 10th grader, 11th grader, 12th grader. Now, he hated speaking at the Sunday night service and would do anything to show any video, but that's fine. How many other pastors would put a risk of a 10th grader to start preaching at Sunday nights? And I got to preach at my home church for years in high school. So before he passed away several years ago, I reached out. His wife's still alive, and she's a Facebook friend. I just sent a really nice note. I said, Pastor McGarry, thank you for your faithful service. Thank you for the way you modeled loving the scripture, teaching and drawing near to people. Thank you for the way that you invested in my life and gave me opportunities. I don't know anybody in high school would have given the opportunities you did. And I got a chance to give God glory for what Pastor McGarry did. And of all the things I didn't learn or didn't want to emulate from Pastor McGarry, there was a lot of things I did. And until I meditated on that and said it and turned up the volume, I wasn't the blessing God wanted me to be. Give thanks. Turn up the volume. Even this last week, we had a team go down this last month to Belize. And John called me up from down in Belize. He said, Chad, you know, 15 years we've been serving and kind of having to work against the hospital system who sort of thought, well, they're just kind of coming and going and they wouldn't give us hospital rooms. But the last couple of years we've earned credibility by keep going back and keep investing. And folks from Horizon continue to go back every year. And so this year John said, hey, Chad, I got to be king for a day. Like, wow. So I've been calling him King Kirby for the last two weeks. So if you want to call John King Kirby. I said, king for a day. Well, just keep in mind, it's all downhill from here, John. You're coming back. We're not treating you like a king here. I said, well, tell me what happened. He said, the health minister of Belize, after 15 years of us investing and keep coming back, and people from our church bringing supplies and bringing services and bringing training, the health minister of the entire country gathered together to honor the people of Horizon and people of the Belize Partners for the way in which we built homes, the way in which we brought medical practice, the way we've literally changed the medical practice the last 15 years. Now, did they feel that way for the last 13 years? Maybe, but it was the, the, the act of coming forth and saying it out loud that God got glory, and our team's like, hey, it's not about us. It's about what God did through us because somebody turned up the volume. You might be the chance to turn up the volume to bless somebody else, but you got to do it. And then lastly... You need a spiritual bypass in your heart. Nothing will destroy grace more than religion. If you owe it to God and other people based on the gifts he's given you, you need to get a religious bypass on your heart. Why is it that the Jews, I and mean, Samaritans were also religious, but Jews were very religious. Why is it that nine religious people didn't come back? It's because religion is the biggest problem to this mindset we're talking about. Religion is all about what I do for God, not what he did for me. And when you feel your heart beginning to focus on how much you've done for God, you're going to start having this God you owe me. You're going to start resenting God for what he's not doing. You're going to start thinking you know better than him. So the only way to overcome this is to get a religious bypass of grace. That when you even hear the hint of that voice, you owe me, coming into your relationships, coming into your relationship with God, coming into your marriage, you've got to do a spiritual bypass around that and begin to remeditate. I'm just a leper. Saved by grace, in need of your mercy. Overcome short-timers disease. Put on a show that other people can see God. Turn up the volume on your mouth 
and get a spiritual bypass on your heart. Let's pray. Father, make us returners that glorify you. Make us returners that give credit to you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. See you all next week.